Hi Carlos, thank you very much for joining us here today at UACs to discuss your research on the humanitarian response to the 2019 cyclones Ide and Kenneth. Could you please start by telling us about the case study that you analyzed in your paper? Yes. Well, thank you very much, uh, Jana, also for inviting me to do this uh, podcast. I'm really happy to do so. And uh, yes, I'm here to talk about the humanitarian response to Cyclone Zidai and Kenneth. So these uh, two cyclones uh, hit Southeastern Africa in 2019, between March and April. Um, and they, well, um, affected several countries, perhaps being Mozambique, the one that was most heavily hit, but also affected Zimbabwe, Malawi, Comoros Islands, etc. Um, these uh, two cyclones killed over 1,300 people and left more than 2 million individuals in need of humanitarian assistance. Um, they were also uh, really destructive uh, in the sense that, I mean, besides destroying over 400,000 houses in an already very vulnerable uh, region, they triggered a spike in malaria cases, two cholera outbreaks, massive migration flows, so yeah, the, basically this is what I'm analyzing in this paper. Uh, the response itself was more about the reconstruction of infrastructure, provision of livelihood and shelter to, to affected individuals. And actually um, over 2 billion US dollars were spent in reconstruction efforts. So this is a quite an interesting case to have a look at. Uh, I mean, the, there was a spokesperson of the UN World Meteorological Organization that referred to this episode at, as perhaps one of the worst weather-related disasters in the Southern Hemisphere. And yet it didn't hit the European press that much. Not many people know about it even uh, to this date. So it's quite important to clarify a little bit what happened there. And uh, more specifically, I'm having a look at the role and weight of the European Union. I mean, not just the EU itself, but also the member states in this response. What is an external crisis and why should we care about the role of the European Union in its external crises? Okay, so I mean that's uh, two different questions, so I will go first with the first question and the second one which is very interrelated. Um, well, I mean here we're talking, uh, when talking about the cyclone Zidai and Kenneth, we might be talking about an external crisis, but uh, it's important to clarify that this is seen from the point of view of the European Union, okay? So external crisis would be understood as an episode that requires an immediate response in conditions of uncertainty, but it has an origin beyond the European Union borders. Still, this was relevant enough for the European Union to coordinate a response with non-European Union and non-governmental actors. In the particular case of um, Idai and Kenneth, it wasn't a really big threat to the European Union territory. Uh, but there comes the second question that you asked, why should we really care in that case? Well, actually, on the one hand, crises are great moments to test the actual ability of the European Union to behave as a global actor and exercise influence beyond its borders. Uh, many different scholars have studied this, but uh, perhaps there should be a greater emphasis at what's happening at the very particular moment when you really see um, 
to what extent the European Union could be more or less active, more or less influential. Uh, for example, uh, there is the scholarship about normative power Europe, right, that says that the European Union is delivering, among other things, humanitarian aid in order to shape the conceptions of normal in the global scene. But what do I mean with this? Well, for example, the European Union perceives itself as a champion of multilateralism that entails being pretty much in touch I mean, for its operations, not only with the targeted government, but to, with the international community as a whole, including non-state uh, non actors, non-governmental actors, international organizations, etc. And also the European Union um, is very clear in its um, um, status, uh, and it says that humanitarian actions shall be based in the on the principles of neutrality, independence, impartiality and also humanity. So here it's quite important to see whether it was actually the case and whether indeed the European Union upheld its principles and actually um, ended up behaving as the actor that it's claiming uh, to be. Um, and in your paper, you talk about a network perspective. So why is it important to study humanitarian crises from a network perspective? Okay, thank you for this question. Uh, actually, it's indeed true. Uh, this is the way I'm trying to study this episode. But first of all, uh, let's clarify what a network perspective is. So this um, is an approach that lays emphasis on the interactions between actors and also the way that this system of interactions is uh, structured rather than on actors themselves, which would be a more, so to say, common approach. So why is it interesting? Because by looking at um, in a particular episode this way, you can see what leads actors to interact with one another, what leads actors to become more or less relevant in a particular episode. Um, so for, for example, um, my my method, I mean, there are several ways that you can you can you can frame this, but the way I'm I'm I'm, I'm building my, my, my article, I'm trying to see who is reporting being in touch with whom uh, during the management of this episode. So this is good to capture, for example, hierarchical dynamics. And I'm going to give you an example. Uh, imagine that me and Joe Biden met three years ago. So if we ask both of us three years after, um, do you ask uh, Joe Biden, do you remember Carlos? Uh, probably he will say no. But if you ask me, do you remember Joe Biden having met him three years ago? I will obviously say yes. This, I mean, even if the contact really happened, the fact that one of us is able to remember the other doesn't allows us to see um, I mean, a really hierarchical relationship. So the same goes for, for humanitarian crisis. And even depending on how you collect data, you can even see informal ties. So not just what would appear in perhaps a formal document, the minutes of a meeting, who attended this meeting. You can really see it by looking at this document. But by, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm distributing a survey across actors, but I'm also, you know, asking about more informal contexts. For example, phone calls, email exchanges. These are actually very relevant to study crises when you need like really, really quick decision making. So um, yeah, that's basically uh, the most important part of it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and so this brings me to ask you, what are the main findings of your research? 
Okay, thank you. Um, um, first of all, I don't want to get too technical here when it comes to the methodology, okay? I will just say uh, that my methodology is called social network analysis. I have used a quantitative technique known as ERGAMS, which is uh, exponential random graph models, which allow me to see whether, I mean, I'm going to be a very, very, I'm simplifying this uh, a lot, but allow me to see whether particular social dynamics stand out in a network. Um, so yes, please, those ergam experts don't kill me now because I'm, I know I, I, I am simplifying this on purpose, but I wanted to sound understandable to our audience. If you're more interested, of course, uh, please take a look at my paper later. Um, but mainly uh, what I'm seeing is that the European Union was indeed consistent with the principles that it's proclaiming. Uh, we see that uh, it um, coordinated more or less a multilateral response, meaning that it was it had lots of contacts with UN agencies and NGOs, perhaps in contrast with non-EU governments, which were, so to say, less social. They had more, rather a more bilateral response. Perhaps they would choose one or two key actors and go, whereas the European Union, and particularly the European Commission, was more social in this case, uh, even more the European Commission than member state governments. And I'm also testing a theory with this paper, which is called resource dependence theory, which again, between uh, without being too technical, try, tries to see whether financial donors uh, behave differently to uh, money receivers in this response. And they do. Actually, money receivers or organizations that um, receive money in order to, to um, I mean, implement actions uh, in this humanitarian response tended to be more active, tended to be more social, so to say, than uh, financial donors were the money providers. Um, this actually allows perhaps for a better coordination of the response, but also it's quite interesting because it um, uh, reduces the dependence of these uh, money receivers on particular uh, donors. Um, and have you encountered any difficulties during the data collection phase of the project? Okay, uh, yes, well, um, it's always tricky to build a network uh, through the distribution of a survey, which, which is what I did, because the, this methodology that I'm using is very sensitive to missing data. This means that you have to make sure that you have uh, responses from as many organizations as possible in your sample. Um, an added difficulty here would be that not just anyone can reply to the survey. Um, you really have to target the highest possible ranked individuals within each organization. And why is it the case? Because actually these are the people that will have a greater knowledge, a more complete picture regarding who their organization was in touch with during this particular episode. And of course, at the same time, this has to be done in a cost-effective way. Because of, as a predoctoral researcher in Spain, you just don't have the money to travel to 20 countries to talk to people that were involved in the crisis. And of course, there is just one thing I don't know if you've heard about. There is this pandemic uh, that is affecting the whole world and also makes it impossible for me to carry out interviews in person, or at least made it uh, pre previous in the previous months. So I had to, every, uh, to carry out everything online, um, which could be... Could have an impact of course in the response rate but having said that i'm really happy to say that at this point i managed to get uh, responses from organizations that were involved in the uh, episode so that's a very big success and um, in fact i i wanted to 
I mean, finalize uh, this intervention by encouraging people uh, that are collecting data to be very meticulous with the research process as, as such, but also uh, don't be shy. Uh, look here and there for new contacts, no matter how important these people are, they might seem intimidating, but some of them will be actually nice and will end up replying to your surveys. Thank you. So on this encouraging note on research, uh, I would like to thank you for joining us at UACs and talking to us about your paper. Thank you very much. Thank you.